Hi, I'm Jeremy Larson, the Reviews Director of Pitchfork, and this podcast is supported by Pitchfork Music Festival. Pitchfork Music Festival will take place July 19th through the 21st at Union Park in Chicago, Illinois. This year's lineup features Jamie XX, Alanis Morissette, Black Pumas, Carly Rae Jepsen, Brittany Howard, Jay Paul, Muna, Jesse Ware, 100 Gex, and many more. The festival also features diverse vendors as well as specialty record, poster, and craft fairs and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit pitchforkmusicfestival.com. Review. I'm Pooja Patel, the Editor-in-Chief. We have a very exciting show this week. Olivia Rodrigo stops by to chat about the album that she considers a perfect 10. And before that, we have Pitchfork's Jeremy Larson and Ryan Domble in the studio to discuss two new albums that we awarded Best New Music. That's Yule's Soft Scars and Lorraine's incredibly titled I Killed Your Dog. Welcome, friends. What's going on? Good to be here. So let's start with just quickly reminding everyone what a BNM is or a best new music is. Maybe Jeremy, you could get into the weeds there quickly. Yeah, a BNM or a Banumi, as I like to call it, mm-hmm. it's a designation that we give to an album that we think is going to be remembered for like a longer time than just now. One of the distinctions we say is that like oh, this is going to be important a year or two years or five years from now. Right. And this is sort of shaping how music is going to sound in the future or is leading the way towards what we'd like music to sound like in the future. And that's kind of the long and short of it. You know, it's anything from an 8.3 up to a 10.0. Flat 10. Flat 10. I don't think we've been a 0.0 to a 10. That's very true. Ever. I guess that implies there would be a 10.1, which doesn't exist. I'm not yet. Not, not yet. yet. Yeah. need to juice that traffic. You invent the 10.1. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I also feel like it's best in class in genre or canon. Mm-hmm. But to get to the point, the most important part of the BNM is that it's something that we as the editors and the staff of Pitchfork are writing for. It's something that we genuinely love a lot, which brings me to Yule, which, Ryan, I think is one of your favorite albums of the year. Could you maybe tell us a little bit about Yule? Yeah, happily. Yule is a 25-year-old non-binary singer, songwriter, and producer. They were raised in Singapore, but also raised kind of online. Someone who was born in 1997 and... Help. Yeah, yeah, was... Grew up, you know, with the internet and and on the internet. And they came of age in London where they went to Central St. Martin's, which is a famous art school. Uh, Alums include people like MIA and Jarvis Cocker. Over the past decade, they've been releasing music. It started off as like kind of ambient pop, very shadowy, amorphous music. A lot of whispering. And then over the last 10 years, it's really kind of gotten sharper and sharper into focus. 
the previous Best New Music album that they put out was called Glitch Princess, and that was last year. And it had this kind of more electronic pop sound. It's hard to talk about Yule without talking about Grimes because Grimes was a really formative influence. Do you want to feel old? Like Grimes is a formative (laughs) influence now. Um, But so, you know, it seemed to take some of what Grimes was doing maybe at the start of her career and bring it into like the 2020s. And that brings us to this album, Soft Scars, which kind of takes a left turn from like that electronic pop into more rock, a rock and roll direction, which is surprising. I I did not expect this, but doing research for my review, maybe the little breadcrumbs were there Mm -hmm. that you had this in them. One song on Glitch Princess, which really acts as a bridge to Soft Scars. It's called Don't Be So Hard on Your Beauty. And it's this beautiful guitar-based ballad that really does lead to a lot of the sounds that they explored subsequently on Soft Scars. Also, that song feels like a bridge in terms of the way that they think about self-care and mental health and self-perception. Yeah, no, it's definitely true. Soft Scars does refer to some like self-harm that they've done in, in the past. You know, they've talked about having disordered eating. A lot of their music does seem to be a little bit of a pep talk to themselves. And yeah, it's easy to find something that you can grab onto as well. Like even if you, you know, have any of those issues or don't have Mm -hmm. other issues. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like in kind of a tangent to what you're saying right now, there's a lot of musical references to grab onto from lots of different periods. Like to think about Grimes as nostalgia is extremely funny. But there are a lot of kind of like classic and formative rock influences What did you hear on this album? Like, where are some of those reference points for you? I think the one thing that really stood out to me is a song that has kind of been reclaimed by a younger generation through Tumblr and Twitter, and that is Broken Social Scenes, Anthem of a 17-Year-Old Girl. That song I hear on Ghosts on this album, like pretty specifically, just the kind of swung lyrics, sort of whispered delivery. I don't know, there's a kind of a harmony effect in their voice mm-hmm. that they use. Like very much it feels like it's in conversation with that song. I think like there's some 90s alt rock too, but I hear a lot of like 2000s things. This does sound kind of like Boards of Canada. There is that sort of dusty IDM quality to it. Whereas on Glitch Princess, there was a bit more kind of PC music 
very sort of 21st century electronic style happening. There's more groove on this. Yeah. Also, tangentially related, you'll put out a covers album during the pandemic that had mm-hmm. a lot of like rock covers. They covered yeah. uh, Big Thief's Cattails, which was one of my favorite Big Thief songs. So, you know, they know they're indie. But also, like you mentioned, there's a lot of other types of rock, yeah. like emo, something like My Chemical Romance, uh, shoegaze or early 90s guitar rock in the vein of My Bloody Valentine or Smashing Pumpkins, specifically Siamese Dream. I hear a lot of Siamese Dream in one of the singles from the album. It's called Daisies. Crazy, incredible riff. One of my favorite guitar riffs this year. And it just, you know, it has that smearing sound that as, yeah, my bloody Valentine loyalist, I can never get enough of. And this song nails that sound like impeccably. I even heard that song Inferno on this album. I heard the like bouncing electronic of Postal Service or mm-hmm. Fru Fru, yeah. you know, yeah. like there is early aughts reference points there too. There's a lot of detail there's on this so, record. There's so much. Yeah. And why does it work? <laughs> you know, we mm-hmm. just named things that are so disparate, except for that they are kind of canon for us. Why is this exciting and why does it sound so good? I think it's less busy than Glitch Princess. There are a handful of ballads on here. I would say maybe like half ballads on here. Those are hard to keep the momentum going throughout a whole album. But I don't know. There's something very textured about all of those ballads that I find very musically engaging. Mm-hmm. One that we should take a listen to is the closing track, which we haven't talked about yet, called Aphex Twin Flame. A heartthrob crush that burns the skin I fall in love with original sin Just the production and the arrangement and sound of this record is really appealing to me on just like a lizard brain level. (laughs) Yeah, and I think Yule is such a force, like personality-wise, across this album, especially vocally. They've uh, previously identified as a cyborg entity, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, which is kind of funny, but I'm not exactly sure how serious they are. And, you know, there was a little bit of that disconnect, you know, like in their vocals, uh, it sounded almost like they were coming from a computer. But with this album, it really isn't. Each and every vocal take is so, like, dialed in and so, like, bloody and fierce. Yeah, yeah, it is bloody. Like, even on the opening track, they just let loose this scream that you can feel, like, you can Mm -hmm. feel the blood in your own neck. And it's just a scream that, you know, I would put on the same level as any heavy metal scream that I've heard. Mm-hmm. You just can't help but feel this. And every vocal is like that in its own way. They're not screaming the whole time. But 
The vocals are so thought through and so well produced. They're like 3D because there's oftentimes, you know, a pitch down effect that almost reminds me a little bit of Fever Ray. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a pitch up effect also. And sometimes at the same time, it's almost like there's five like Yule singing uh-huh. um, at any given moment. I really like their lyrics, too. They're coming from a perspective. Uh, it's kind of this internet-addled perspective. Sure is. <laughs> um, the idea that I get from it is they grew up in this cyber world, and now they're kind of trying to break free. And who can't relate to that, right? We're all trying to log off. <laughs> <laughs> is there a favorite song? What are the highlights for you? One favorite for me is this one called Software Update, which the reference that I thought of, which Yule has kind of referenced that they're a fan of this artist, is Avril Lavigne. Mm -hmm. There's an Avril song called I'm With You that was a hit, but kind of a lesser known hit. Like it's a ballad. Won't you take me by the hand, take me somewhere new? I don't know. I distinctly remember it when it came out, like in the early 2000s, and really loving this song. And this Seal song, Software Update, follows a very similar structure. And it is like a power ballad on its face, but the way that they're presenting it and the lyrics almost make it, to me, sound like, I don't know, maybe a parody or kind of like a meta. There's something super funny about the way that that song opens. The album is kind of funny. Like, yeah. I, I think they're pretty funny. There's another track that I really enjoy called Cyber Meat, <laughs> which is such a great title. Really exploring the space between the internet and flesh. Yeah. It's just like, this is it. It also kind of reminded me the phrase Cyber Meat of like something they would sell in a, uh, like a 90s dystopian <laughs> sci-fi movie, like yes. Demolition yeah. Man, right? Yes, the future is selling Cyber Meat. Yeah. yeah. If you like the films of David Cronenberg, I think I think you'll really like it. There's a lot of mentions of like nectar and honey and flesh and carcasses. And they continue the theme of like biting into skin. Yeah. And there's a couple of great lines in that where they say Android blood tastes oh so sweet. <laughs> yeah, agreed. <laughs> and they say there's a boy and girl inside me too. Non-binary. It's true. Just the way that they sing this line is so, it's like eye rolling. It's just like, oh, like, you know, I guess I'll talk about this. With a lot of like identity stuff now, you know, for good reason, it's taken extremely seriously. But the way that they're talking about their identity on this song is just fun. I also think, you know, this album deals with a lot of themes of like transhumanism. 
and like posthumanism. Mm. And I think that's something that pop music is still sort of like wrestling with and sort of like, ah, like, yeah, should we upload our consciousness to the cloud? Right. Mm. Is that something we can sing with a straight face and sing about honestly and talk about the different sort of emotional qualities of it? There's a bit of me that just has trouble kind of connecting to that on like a deeper emotional level. I find myself like just at a remove a little bit. I think this is why the song Software Update hit so hard for Mm. me because not only is it about identity, but they're talking about very physical things. Like they're talking about body shaming. They're talking Mm. about mental health. They're talking about literally trying to fix yourself within a broken system, right, which are all issues of the moment, all things that are very real talking about being extremely traumatized at the age of 25. And we all kind of know that most of our trauma comes from your youth, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's so well put. And also, like, to bring it full circle back to Grimes, you know, this formative influence on Yule, like, Grimes recently released a song called I Want to Be Software. And this is exactly what you're talking about, Jeremy. Like, that's what the song is about. It's Uh not like a trick. I want to be software. It's all about uploading your brain and stuff and being gung-ho about that. We're already going there at such a fast pace that someone's just being like, well, fuck it. Let's go all yeah. the way. Like, safety mm-hmm. off. You know, like, that's I'm like, not here. This is an AI version of me <laughs> right now. You can't even tell. Yeah, exactly. Like, so that makes me uncomfortable. But what Yule is doing to me is different. They're delving into that uncomfortable feeling. It's not just like, yeah, let's do this. AI forever. You know, like, welcome, like, robot future. It's it's much more conflicted. And, you know, that's how I feel. And hopefully a lot of <laughs> people feel. Yeah. It's a big reason why this album, like, connected with me so much. Well, lots and lots and lots to unpack with this incredible new Yule album. I highly recommend that you listen to it. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back. You come to the New Yorker Radio Hour for conversations that go deeper with people you really want to hear from, whether it's Bruce Springsteen or Questlove or Olivia Rodrigo, Liz Cheney, or the godfather of artificial intelligence, Jeffrey Hinton, or some of my extraordinarily well-informed colleagues at The New Yorker. So join us every week on The New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts. We're back. Let's roll. Okay, so the next record that we want to talk about is steeped in this kind of other nostalgia, and it's more emotional and biographical, I think less musically referential than this Yule album. The album that we want to talk about is Lorraine's very (laughs) funnily named I Killed Your Dog. Have a hard time saying it. (laughs) <laughs> really got to really have a hard time saying it and go that's fire. Com- it's confrontational. Yeah, but Lorraine is confrontational. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. very true. Our, one of our writers, Clover Hope, interviewed Taja Sheik, the front person of Lorraine, and I loved that when she asked Taja about this album title, Taja was like, "It makes you immediately think about the storyline. Mm-hmm. Is it like a revenge plot? Yeah. Is it that this person is a psycho?" Is this something, like, metaphorical? Is like, it an apology? Yeah, like, it, it immediately gets you started down the path of opening up a little bit and trying to understand what might happen next. So 
I just like animals. It's really hard for me. But that's <laughs> I mean, all. I think Taja also loves dogs yeah. for what it's worth. Yeah. Well, Jeremy, can you give us some context about this album? We last heard from Taja on Fatigue, which was another BNM. This album sounds very different from that one. Yeah, I think it's definitely a natural progression. I mean, Fatigue came out in 2021, and that was obviously an experimental record. I it sounds a lot like Deer Hunter to me, uh-huh. you know, but instead of being inspired by Pylon and like Noi, Lorraine's inspired by like Brooklyn DIY and Brandy. Mm-hmm. Um, she was part of the Brooklyn DIY scene. She was a radio DJ at Yale where she trained in like classical music. So she brings a lot of her classical training there too. And with I Killed Your Dog, it's much more grounded. There's less space to it. She talked about how she really kind of fell in love with old synths mm-hmm. and analog synths, and you can kind of hear that as a main underlying theme and, and current here. Both those albums are pretty short, too. I really enjoy, like, the brevity of her work. Yes, There's, we love it. It's <laughs> really do. <laughs> Other um, artists, take note. Yeah. But, but in that brevity, like, there's so much, there's so yes. much information on this record. It's, it's taken a lot of listens to really get my bearings. This record feels to me like a documentary. Yeah. It feels like like a documentary in the streets of New York. It's loud, it's crowded, and that is such a cool feeling to get from a record. Yeah. yeah. The way I think of Taj's music, you know, similarly, it's like someone's personal radio station that yeah. they're toggling between like in their dream, right? Yeah, that's great. It's totally by its own logic. Genre means little, you know, R&B and jazz and rock and soul and psych. Everything is on the table Mm -hmm. at any moment. And that also just makes it interesting. You just don't know. You literally don't know what the next minute is going to sound like. Yeah. It's endless. Like her music is endless in that way. I really felt like some of what you're both talking about makes this record feel really intimate. So on Taja's first record, there were themes of grief. It was about her mother passing. And this record is also about complicated feelings. Some of them are grief, sadness, belonging, lost love, all of this. All of the documentarian elements in there make me feel like I know her a little bit better, right? Let's talk about some of the things that feel a little bit different about this album. Mm-hmm. So the first two singles were New Year's Unresolution and Pet Rock. Pet Rock got a best new track from us and sounded kind of like an outlier. It sounded like something that we would not expect Lorraine to make. When you heard that song, what did it tell you about what might appear on this album? Honestly, the first thought I had was like, this is the best Stroke song in 20 (laughs) years or or whatever. It, it, You know, she's really clearly referencing the Strokes and has talked about it. I think she talked about it in our our interview with, you know, those trebly guitars and even her vocals have a similar effect, like as that classic Julian Casablanca's like singing into a tin can. Mm -hmm. And then in the middle of the song, it changes into like the best Tame Impala song in the (laughs) last five years or whatever. I love this song because it does seem like she's kind of like, well, you think this kind of rock music is the domain of, you know, white guys like fuck around and find out, you know, (laughs) and like, like, like take this, you know, and it's so good. 
It's not just like, I want to make a song that sounds like The Strokes. There's a lot more to it. So she talked about this album as a anti-breakup album. Yeah, her her quote, basic bitch album. Yeah, her anti-breakup album, her basic bitch album, (laughs) her her fuck around and find out album. (laughs) Um, I don't get those feelings from it, but but I understand how that can be like a mood board like idea approaching this. I think it's relative, right? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. In some world, you know, I guess to her, like, she thinks is quote-unquote basic compared to the last (laughs) album. And I can see that only in you can kind of tell where the songs begin and end on this album. (laughs) (laughs) Like, literally. Yeah. Like, Uh so yeah, this is maybe a little bit more song-oriented. And I guess she's singing about stuff that is more universal. I mean, obviously, those quotes or that framing is in a direct response to perception, right? right? Or a direct response to something that probably crosses her table a lot. But to your point about how you can actually tell where songs begin and end Mm -hmm. a little a little more clearly. (laughs) (laughs) Right, yeah. There's also this kind of maturity in this album Mm. about how she is, like, pointedly taking on these things from her life. So I feel like there's a lot of reconciliation Mm. about things that happened when she was a teenager, about relationships, about breakups, about feelings. The essence of Basic Bitch album is that it's about love, right? And it's about all the various different kinds of love and heartbreak and that kind of thing. And she said this quote that I really liked. She said, I write so much about the ends of things and grieving that a lot of those songs were started before the end. So the music is bridging the gap. Mm-hmm. I think that's mm-hmm. like that's like a really wonderful way mm-hmm. to think about these songs. Going back to like, oh, like what happens when you are grieving the end of a relationship mm-hmm. and you take stock of like what happened? And you're like, oh, maybe I killed that, you know, yeah. like, like that sort of it actualizes the feeling you get when you read the title of the album and you listen to the song. You're like, oh yeah, there are a lot of things to consider. I think her phrasing of the music filling the gaps is so spot on because Mm -hmm. there are places where the lyrics are not exactly clear, but the idea is. And one of my favorite little moments on this album is the song, I Hate My Best Friend. Uh-huh. It's one of the many interludes on this album, I right? I love it. I mean, it's like just longer than an interlude, but mm-hmm. it's this kind of upbeat, carnival, funhouse, on-drugs sounding piece of music with this super warped vocal about how she hates her best friends because they're trying to fix her. Mm. And it's the kind of spiral that we all have about, like, I need to open myself up to people, but it's suffocating me or it's too hard for me to explain myself to them. Like I'm picturing someone fading to black while Mm -hmm. on the Ferris wheel. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. I'm going to throw out a take. 
These are the best interludes that have appeared on any album in the last 10 years. Wow. Interesting. They're incredible. They're engaging. They're funny. They're unique. There's an interlude called What's That Song, where Lorraine takes a voicemail from a friend who's trying to remember how a song goes and then creates a new song right. out of that voicemail. Right. What's that jazz song that goes? Ryan, do you have any favorite songs? I really like this song called Need Be. I honestly like it in part because it sounds a lot like Paranoid Android. Yeah. <laughs> um, the Radiohead song. It does. Um, it's kind of a cool twist on that. It sounds amazing, and the kind of message is just this idea of thinking about what you would tell your younger self, like, from what you know now. What's great about that song, too, is that it is an update of a song from Fatigue. Right. Which I think is cool. Like, the way that her music talks to her own past and her past albums is terrific. I love music that's in conversation with other music. I thought of everyone from, like, we were talking about The Strokes to Nina Simone to, like, Stevie Wonder. It's not beholden to an era or style Mm -hmm. at all. You can't make the easy connections generally from song to song. The thing that's exciting about Lorraine, too, is I think there's even a little more room to go if they wanted to make more accessible music. I think they could because this this album is still pretty weird. But I think there's more room there that I wouldn't mind them like continuing to explore. The one like small complaint is I think their lyrics are good and I think her voice is incredible. Sometimes I just can't understand. It. And it almost is like a little bit self-defeating. I just want it to be that little bit more like legible. Maybe that's the basic bitch in me. <laughs> um, but but yeah, that would be my only slight complaint. That's a good segue into something that I want to talk about because like obviously she is grappling with the idea of like being prescribed with all of these genre markers and accessibility issues from whoever, uh, not us. <laughs> we gave mm-hmm. fatigue number two on our this year on list that year. This is accessible to us. But what does making accessible slash experimental music even mean? I mean, I think we're, we've been touching on it a little bit. It's that it's a way into somebody's soul, you know? I mean, she said in an interview, it's like, I don't make songs in difficult time signatures just to be difficult. It's just that's how my brain works, mm-hmm. you know? She's not sitting there being like, you know what would be better than 4-4 four, four is 9-4. Like, yeah. that's not how she approaches it. She approaches it by saying, like, this is the chaos that's happening in my mind, and what I'm going to create with this is, like, what I am hearing in my head, you know? Experimental music... The reason why it's not pop music is because the people who make it are weird. They don't have popular populist ideas. They have odd ideas. And I think 
maybe what we were talking about is that because like you feel like you know her because she is this iconoclastic, weird, oblique person whose ideas about how life and love should work are maybe a little bit unique to her. And that's what I love about experimental music is because it's not meant for everybody. It's not meant to be shared. Sometimes it's mm-hmm. just meant for like a private connection between you and the person that is making it. Mm-hmm. So I think what you sacrifice in legibility, you make up for in this idea of like, maybe I don't want to be understood. I'm with you on that. Like, I find that kind of cloudiness compelling because I feel like that mirrors how my brain works. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thank you so much for coming on, folks. Oh, man, I'm going to go upload my consciousness to the cloud now. That's where I want to be. I'm going to power down after this podcast. <laughs> Sorry, we've, we've already turned Dumble off. Goodbye. <laughs> we've unplugged Dumble. <laughs> so we've been talking a bit about the ways that nostalgia has informed some of our favorite music of the year. And when Olivia Rodrigo recently stopped by the Pitchfork offices, I asked her to tell me about an album that she considers to be flawless, no notes. That is, one of the best albums of all time, a certifiable classic. So here it is, our new segment, My Perfect Ten, featuring Olivia Rodrigo. Hey, I'm Olivia Rodrigo, and my Perfect Ten album is Jagged Little Pill by Alanis Morissette. I grew up listening to, like, Jack FM or whatever with my parents, and they play, like, Hand in My Pocket and You Oughta Know and Ironic and stuff like that. So I think I, like, subconsciously maybe knew those songs, but I remember a piano teacher of mine telling me, like, oh, my gosh, you should listen to this album. It's incredible. I just remember listening to it and being, like, a 12, 13-year-old girl and being like, oh, my God, you can, like, say this in music? This is so crazy. And then I did a deep dive, and I'm like— you can say, like, did you go down on him in a theater, like in a song? I know the version of me. Is she perverted like me? Would she go down on you in a theater? Does she speak eloquently? And would she have your baby? And then my mind just was blown, and it just opened up so many possibilities for me. I remember the first song I listened to was Perfect, actually, which is not, like, the biggest song off the album, but one of my absolute favorites. I must have been such, like, an angsty kid who was, like, had the pressure of perfectionism on them in a different way. I wasn't from my parents, but I must have, like, had that on me, and I just listened to that song, and I was like, oh, my God, this speaks to me so much. I play that album to death. I will play that album front to back. I'll play certain songs. It just makes you feel like empowered in a way. And it feels like the most human album I've ever heard. It just perfectly captures what it feels to be like a young adult growing up in this world. She just put it so succinctly into words. Like, why are you so petrified of silence? Here, can you handle this? And it's silent. I remember hearing that for the first time and being like, oh my God, like screaming like crazy. Can't believe she did that. Why are you so petrified of silence? Here, can you handle this? Did you think about your bills, your ex, your deadlines? Or when you think you're gonna die?
I love that. I love intellectual intercourse. Like, so many great lines. Such an amazing record. The Pitchfork Review is a production of Condé Nast Entertainment. Mark Yoshizumi, Elia Einhorn, and Katie Lau at 3DBR are producers. Ryan Domble is our showrunner, and Jessica Gramulia is our music supervisor. You can read Kat Singh's interview with Yule and Clover Hope's interview with Lorraine at pitchfork.com. Thanks for listening.